0: The Virtual CISO Moment is brought to you by vCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vCISOServices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. I'm here with Dick Wilkinson. He's Chief Technology Officer. Dick, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Greg. Good morning. I'm really glad to be here and to talk to your audience and other CISOs out there in the field.
0: Awesome. Glad to have you. Um, So could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience, uh, how you got into IT and InfoSec and where you're at today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, you know, I guess it's easiest to work backwards, right? So uh, currently I'm the chief technology officer of my own company called Proof Labs. We're focused on cybersecurity. And we are working on developing our services in the space industry. Um, and we are also doing uh, consulting for higher ed and uh, government agencies. Um, but then before that, I was 23 years of government service. Uh, I had three years of state service here in the New Mexico, working for the Supreme Court as a chief information security officer and the chief technology officer um, following that. Uh, and then I had 20 years in the Army. Doing signals intelligence, um, I retired as a warrant officer from the army. So I was a technician. Uh, really enjoyed my time there. Had uh, tours all over the world. Worked for quite a few three-letter agencies and got to see um, the the cutting edge, as in you know, as it's being developed. What what's what's happening in cyberspace? So that was an amazing time, uh, and I'm really thankful for those 20 years in the army.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Thank you so much for your service. I'm prior Air Force myself too, um, and also prior government to an extent that was uh, the first CISO for Nashville here in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. You've seen a lot, you've done a lot, obviously. What do you see as um, one or several of the more significant threats to the small and mid-sized businesses out there today as far as information security?
1: Uh, You know, I I think it's kind of interesting that some of the threat landscape has actually kind of plateaued as far as new unique types of threats aren't aren't um, coming out too much right like ransomware and iterations of ransomware is still the same thing it's an encryption attack right uh ddos is still the same it's just executed a little bit differently so the actual nature of attacks hasn't changed that much Um, so as far as what's what's new or what's what's coming out now that people need to be more concerned with i don't know that the nature of the threat has changed Maybe the nature of your environment is more of what you need to be concerned about. And of course, we're talking about the cloud and being able to manage your assets, whether they're applications or data on your premises and in the cloud and doing that effectively. I think that's where people, bad guys are looking for more threat vectors and companies and agencies are struggling to maintain you know, what they need to in that space. So it's not that it's going to be a new threat. It's a new place to execute the same old threats.
0: I see a lot in the InfoSec Twitter and LinkedIn space, where, particularly around ransomware, where there are some folks that are saying that we need to increase security awareness. There are other folks that are saying we need to stop blaming users and increase our technical controls. I'm kind of of the opinion that layered security is the way we should go. We should be looking at all aspects. What are, you, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Oh, defense in depth, you know, that phrase, uh, I live and die by that as far as being a chief security officer or chief information security officer. Defense in depth is everything, um, you have to be able to understand. My policy is an administrative control that's backed up by a piece of equipment. That's a technical control. I train the person who uses the equipment. That's another administrative control, you know, and that person's got a hard key to get access. There's another technical control, right? So that's just one experience for one user. You got four, you got a sandwich of controls there. So yeah, absolutely. The, you need to be able to cover every angle.
0: So uh, could you tell me a little bit more about like a proof point? Uh, what is it that? Or I'm sorry, not proof point. Um, proof Labs. Oh, I get that all the time. We we
1: chose that name and realized like we're getting in this crowded space. We actually well, had to use a marketing company to make sure we didn't step on other brands. Well, so. to be to,
0: to to be fair, my company yeah. is VCISO Services, and I get yeah. called vCisco Services, and I'm like, oh, I don't yeah. even work with Cisco anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. Uh, proof <laughs> Proof Labs. <laughs> what yes. what is it that you do, and what's the niche that you're filling?
1: Yeah. Uh, proof Labs is. Focus completely on cybersecurity, information security, and what we're really trying to push towards, as you mentioned, a niche. Um, Think about it this way, hardware penetration testing. And people get wrapped up around that and think, oh, well, you're talking about the firmware and it's all these different devices. I say, no, firmware is still software. (laughs) I'm talking about the actual physical access points, um, how you can transmit information in and out, anything on a device that input, output, or compute. If that's available to you, it's also available to the bad guy. And so we're trying to find very high risk items in the space industry. You know, satellites are very high risk. So we're trying to find these really high risk environments where any type of access needs to be scrutinized and needs to be secured. And that's our focus right now is helping those space industry partners develop very secure technology.
0: That's huge in this space. And I didn't mean that as a pun. Yeah, um it's
1: right for that <laughs> it's, it's,
0: yeah and and uh, you know one thing that's been in the news recently i don't know if this is something and it, even if it was it wouldn't be something that you could probably talk about so i won't go down that path but i found it interesting that um russia and china are a little bit on edge right now and i'm probably downplaying that because yeah. of starlink that's of course elon musk's spacex um i think space yeah, internet service it, It's yeah, yeah, I think it's a SpaceX uh, subsidy or a subsidiary rather, and they are really, really um, not very happy about that. And certainly, um, anything that happens to Starlink, there's so many uh, satellites in the constellation that it would be hard to take out. So. Um, kudos, I guess, to Musk for uh, uh, getting that in place and, and helping with our, sec- our security. But what are some of the uh, more, generically speaking, unique challenges that you would have with securing um, space items, uh, items in space and orbit?
1: I'm really glad you mentioned that um, topic, Greg. Uh, just briefly, I'm going to be speaking about that uh, in this facility. So where I'm at today is hosted by the uh, Air Force and Space Force combination. And um, this is from the Air Force Research Labs Um, There's going to be an event here later this year and I'm going to present exactly what you're talking about. It's going to be a dissection of what happened during that Starlink event in Ukraine. How did Russia interfere and how did the Starlink system overcome that interference and then use that as sort of a template to explain to other satellite operators and government folks, hey, this is a real world example of how a commercial operator managed to overcome what you could consider to be a digital attack. How did that happen? And are you prepared? Are you able to perform that same type of resilient recovery? Um, so that's what, that you know, I'm going to talk about that later this year in more detail. Yeah, absolutely. Those countries are concerned about it. And it just comes down to the proliferation of commercial access in space, um, both for communications like what Starlink is to just provide, you know, broadband internet or uh, other unique opportunities that companies, not governments, can do to put things in space. So there's, this is just the first of quite a few platforms that are going to be in space that are really going to change and shift some of the geopolitical concerns around what used to be a pretty exclusive environment of having extremely expensive satellites on orbit it's not anymore so it's a totally different landscape now
0: is that uh, a presentation that you're going to be able to share after the fact or is this just uh, for audience only
1: I believe I, I should. It's not going to be classified or anything like that. So I should have the uh, opportunity to record it or or make a presentation that can be recorded. Yeah. And I'd like to do that. I think this one's going to be one that uh, I may give it a couple of different settings. So,
0: And 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 when is this? Just out of curiosity,
1: uh, it's uh, October. Um, there's an event here that's uh, happening in October. I'm not sure that it's going to be a vir- any virtual attendance, but I do believe I'll be able to record the uh, sessions. So, and yeah, there's, there's two different space focused events happening in October and hopefully I'll be able to present this at
0: both. That is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. We'll definitely want to know about that. And I'll, uh, you know, we do the, the weekly wrap-ups and all that definitely Mm -hmm. would want to check that and promote that. So looking forward to seeing that. So you have, you're, you're a co-founder of Proof Labs, um, which means in my mind that you became an entrepreneur, and I'm always like, interested to hear other folks' stories, having done it myself. And so many, well, I shouldn't say so many, but a lot of us in the InfoSec space are doing the same thing, where they're going out on their own. How was that leap to you from getting paycheck from others to getting paycheck from clients?
1: Yeah, Right. Um, I'm still in it. I still feel like I'm in the middle of the air. I haven't landed on anything yet. So as far as the leap, I think I'm still floating and looking for where I'm going to land. Right? <laughs> Me
0: too. I you know, I, I, I hope I think, there's a landing somewhere. You know?
1: Yeah, I think most of us are going to stay somewhere in that float phase for a while. Um, it, it is very, um, it takes a lot of Uh, environmental situations to line up, right? Some people just will it and say, I'm going to go out here and do it. I think for the rest of us that are a little more cautious and like you say, like really want to make sure that next paycheck's coming in the door, that jump to say, I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to bet on the fact that I do believe in my knowledge. Um, I think for me, and here's one that your listeners absolutely tune into here, imposter syndrome, right? The further you go up in the food chain and once you become that chief information security officer, you kind of stand around going, I used to be in the lab and I was a technician and none of the bosses ever came to talk to me about anything. And now I'm in here talking to these people, right? (laughs) And they really care about what I'm saying. You start to get that imposter syndrome, right? And say, maybe I don't know this stuff. Maybe I only know that stuff, right? And so you have to live in that space for a while, feel like you're getting better at it. And I did, and not everybody does, but I had that opportunity to learn as a CISO the business aspect of how we support operations, right? And how does that plug into budgets? How does that plug into personnel? How does that plug into requirements? And learning those things gave me the confidence to overcome that little, you know, well, a big bit of imposter syndrome, (laughs) but that little bit of like, I can't business, you know, and say, okay, I do need a partner that can do some of those things and understands it and um, just get out there. I had stopped my last job for other um, other pursuits. But when I decided that those weren't going to work out, my family had said, hey, we're really not interested in that lifestyle that you're trying to pursue. You're going to be gone a lot. Then it was time to just start the business. So
0: Oh, well, there are two things there. First of all, I love the idea of betting on yourself. It's um, if you truly believe in what you can do and what you're worth, I think that just going out there and giving it a try. Of course, you have to do sort of like an internal uh, personal risk assessment of your own situation. But if yeah. you feel like you can do it, it's it's so much worth it. But the imposter syndrome, I certainly remember having that like my first, um, I think, I think to an extent, my first, Move to a CISO position. I was uh, in various increasing roles at one job, at one organization that I was at for 12 years. So migrating into what was the CISO role there, that was just sort of a uh, natural progression. I didn't have imposter, but then suddenly like moving into the, my next move was into that uh, government CISO position as the first CISO for like a major metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean, do I really know what I'm doing? But you kind right. of got to dig deep and trust yourself on how you got there. But the reason why I wanted to touch on that is that there's recently been some significant discussion on the uh, social media, LinkedIn and Twitter about what a, what, what a VCSO qualifications are oh, needed. Yeah. And, um, and I can't recall, do you actually, um, have you done virtual CISO work in the past or, or just the CISO?
1: I, I mean, I'm kind of doing that now for one of our clients. We're doing an assessment and they have not had a chief information security officer for a few months. And so while I'm not a retainer with them, I've been their go-to for questions and we've been supporting them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely am natural, naturally comfortable with the role and have done that type of consulting before. I don't have any direct VC, so retainers right now. though. What, do,
0: well, what are your thoughts, particularly having, you know, doing that, um, what are your thoughts about the necessity for someone having been, at the very least, maybe um, high up in risk management, apprenticing maybe a, a CISO in order to go into the virtual CISO realm? And the reason why I ask that is it seems like that there's like a few levels of v out there right now. They're the former CISOs or those that have heavy risk management experience. Yeah. Then there are those that are more IT, technical, like managers, directors, that sort of thing. And then finally, there are those that are just kind of, I mean, for for want of a better word, they're kind of like trying to fake it till they make it. And faking it with a client is, I think, not the best way to go. But I'd like your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah. Um, I think I understand. Let me say this. I'm not defending the people that are trying to fake it till they make it. But I think I understand what they're saying. Because Mm I saw something a week or two ago that um, it kind of opened my eyes to what some of those people are hoping to achieve. Um, I've got a certification, right? I've got a certification as a chief information security officer from a company that does that, right? That tells you as a student or as a customer of that information that there might be some way to just learn it from a book, right? (laughs) Like maybe if there's a certification for it, I can study for it and get good at it, right? And so I think there are people out there that believe Rightfully or wrongly, that you can study to become a CISO without the experience and still be really effective, right? That comes down to is there a formula for security, right? Can I learn the formula? <laughs> and my answer to that is, no, you can't learn the formula from a book. You just can't. You have to make your own formula. Greg is mm-hmm. a different formula than what I have, right? Because the risk aspect, I know what I'm looking for. I know what risk I'm concerned about. I know exactly how to kind of touch that and see it without having to get a big report, without having to ask 100 questions, right? And that's because I know right where it sits inside of my formula. You have a different thing that you know exactly where it's at, how it's functioning, and how well it's going right now without even having to ask. You can't learn that from a book, right? And so when you're working with a client and you've only got a few hours at a time to interact with these people, you're not going to be there all day, every day. You've got to learn, you have to have the experience. Excuse me, this is what I'm saying. You have to have the experience to be able to hear a key phrase inside that conversation and go, I know what the problem is, right? (laughs) And you can't have that if you just learned it from a book or if you've only done virtual experiences with clients and never really been in the trenches in the operations, you know, learning how the sausage is made. I don't think you're going to be successful. Can you give advice around how to make things more secure? Yes. Can you run a program? Can you develop a program around their culture and their business needs? I don't think so. I don't think you can.
0: I think that that is the absolute perfect way to describe it. I'm completely on board with that. And, and I would, I would add on that, that I don't think that you necessarily need to have had the title of CISO beforehand, but right. so long as you can do exactly what you said—that that listening to pick up on something in a conversation, no matter how you got that experience—then that's what's needed. So, yeah. and as far as certifications go, I, I'm all about necessary certifications, and certainly, I you know, I. I your ccso is from the EC Councils, which is accredited. Yeah. What I'm starting to see now, again, and we've seen this throughout IT forever, are groups popping up that are offering certifications that really are not certifications. They're not accredited bodies. Right. Um, and I always caution people that if you're going to go for a certification, make sure it's some sort of an accredited body. Otherwise, call it a training course. That's fine. Call yeah. you know, but but don't call it a certification without an accreditation. Yeah. Well, if it's
1: too good to be true, right? If that company is offering you something that just looks too good to be true and the price is way lower than everybody else's, yeah, you're just buying a piece of paper, right? <laughs> so,
0: Well, there was something I came across a couple of days ago talking about the training course and I wish I remembered the specifics, but that it could get you like um, a one, a half a million to $1 million salary after six weeks of taking this course. I'm like, why didn't I ever do that? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I wouldn't have to do this anymore. I would. But yeah, I and where anymore. are these jobs? Is what I don't know. I've,
1: I've not seen any security jobs that are paying that much money. You know what I'm I, I know. Like...
0: It's like, I'm I'm, I'm I'm reading the wrong newspaper, but that's the problem. Yeah, exactly. I'm so old, I'm looking at a newspaper, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, uh, certainly, um, your uh, impressive history and impressive what you're doing right now. I can't wait to, to hear more about that presentation. But just all of that being in InfoSec and IT uh, is stressful in and of itself. And then on top of that, learning how to be an entrepreneur and still like you don't know what that landing is going to look like. Uh, much more stress there. How do you handle it on the off time? Do you, do you actually give yourself off time? Uh, I'm getting
1: better at that, Greg. Um, I'll be honest with you. For the last year, I haven't done that very well. Um, After I did quit that last full-time paycheck job, um, I've been um, doing consulting with different groups and just kind of chasing a lot of different things to keep money in the door while this is going on. And I wasn't giving myself any time off. You know, I'd run for weeks and weeks and weeks and then just take like three or four days off and kind of disappear. And it wasn't a healthy pattern. Um, so I'm definitely getting better at at making sure that my weekends are very guarded, right? And that's even been a little point of contention in some, I have another business, you know, and I said, look, like, I don't work on weekends ever, like, that part of my life is done. I have family, and I just don't do that anymore, you know? And um, yeah, it's, you just have to be really, uh, you set your own personal goals around how much time, you know, do I need? How do I feel about, you know, taking this time off? And you have to do it, though. Um, you know, working seven days a week is not going to lead to a successful business. Uh, It's going to lead to a broken person and you're not going to make money. So, you know, you need to focus on that. You can't lose sight of it. And that idea of like, we have to hustle all day, every day. That's not realistic. And if that's what you think you have to do as an entrepreneur, you know, if you're out selling really low cost, low margin little widgets and you're making two cents off each widget, yeah, you need to work 24 hours a day. But in our field of work, that's that's not what you need to do. And, and our work takes a lot of brain power, right? I mean, it takes a lot of effort. We're not out work, like physically working, but it, it's exhausting to do it well. And you need to give yourself that time to recover.
0: I think that I read somewhere, I always seem to start off by saying that. I think that I read somewhere that we truly only have like four or five hours of really productive work maximum during the day. And you need to maximize that time. But when you go out on your own and you leave that paycheck, it's scary, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. When when no one's expecting you to show up on a given day, um, and you know, Greg, I'm glad you asked that. When I very first retired, I had the opportunity to open a small um, kind of training franchise here for cybersecurity and do some training and do some consulting and and be you know supported by another branch and everything else. But I was going to be a solo operator, and I knew myself well enough at that time, especially just leaving the military and having all that super built-in structure. I knew when I walked away from that, I'll never show up to work. If it's just me, like I'm going to do something, one little tiny thing a day and say, okay, I did something today. And I'm going to do that for a few months before I get myself in trouble, right? <laughs> like I need an accountability partner. I need somebody who's just there going, you didn't show up to work today. That's it. That's enough. And so once my partner asked me, would I like to start a business? Which is great. He approached me and said, I've, I've already got my own LLC. I've been doing this for a long time. I think we could partner up and do work. Work well together, and that was what I needed. Right? It was that other person, and that other person made all the difference because it was that accountability to say we're in this together. And every day that you show up, the more you do, the more it's worth. And that was it. That's what I needed.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's um, there's there's just so much associated with accountability when you're going down that path. Um, and and sometimes I think people think that they can be accountable to themselves, and you can, but only to an extent because then you start. But but one of the things I've learned in the entrepreneurship is to and I actually learned this from from um, a bank CEO that I worked with, I worked with many years ago, focus on your core competency, don't go out and like try to grab everything that comes your way. Now, I was so scared when I first started that I was starting to like, okay, I, I, I need money, I need something to come, yeah, come in, right. you know, um, what are your future plans? Uh, well, Proof Labs is
1: uh, doing really well as far as our you know trajectory right now. Um, we just recently joined a group called the Space Information Sharing and Analysis Center, or Space ISAC, and I'm sure some of your listeners will be familiar with other ISAC um, facilities or teams, you know, membership structures that are out there. Um, They're great opportunities to be a part of some niche community. And so Space ISAC is specifically cybersecurity for all things space, both government and industry. So we're partners there now. We're hoping uh, we're going to go in July and we're going to make a bit of a proposal when we do our um, uh, orientation with them to open a lab space in Colorado Springs and start evaluating the hardware, like we talked about earlier in the call, you know, in the lab and start getting that level of client in the door. So that's our goal there. And for me, that's really a, you know, that's a personal goal of when we started the company, we were inspired by my last job in the military, which was running a lab and doing cybersecurity research. And we really wanted to just recreate that resource for industry. Well, it it took a little while and we've kind of gone around the block a couple of times on how we might get there, but this may be the realization of that. And it's only, you know, a year and a half into it that we've found the opportunity to build that type of resource and get that work going. And for us, we always thought of it as like a tech transfer from the military to the industry world of this is how we evaluate products for deployment in the military. Would you like to evaluate your products at same level of scrutiny? I think a lot of industry players would. And so for us, that's that's the future is continuing to try and develop that kind of space for the, the industry, not just government, and make sure that everybody has access to that level of quality of assessment and being able to secure their technology. So that's really my personal passion. I've worked in that space in the military. And for the company, that's where we're going to continue to head that way. And hopefully, you know, have our own lab where we have, you know, enough um, throughput that we need our own facility. So that's kind of the goal for that company. Personally, I'm going to be at this for a while. You know, any entrepreneur, you, know, you get asked, the day after you start a company, how are you going to sell it? Right? Like, what's your exit right. plan? And it's like, I don't even have, I don't have four walls yet. I got to get a four walls before I can sell something, <laughs> right? You know? Right. And, uh, you know, that's, but it's, you can't escape it, right? You do have to understand
0: that you do. you're not
1: going to do this forever. So I don't, you know, um, I think both my partner and I see a, a, a five-year five year timeline where we've either built up a good service portfolio and we're ready to hand it off to somebody or we've made a, a widget because we are doing some technology development for space. So we made a software application or something like that and it's kind of taken on a life of its own and it can go be its own product and be sold. And then that may be our glide path out. So yeah, that's kind of our our goal there is sometime in the next five years either strike it rich with a great software tool or satellite component or have enough service portfolio built that you know it's ready to hand off to some some really well qualified caretakers so
0: awesome and the website is prooflabs.org right
1: Yes, and uh, you know for your listeners there's there's not much there right now we uh, just getting it rebuilt right now and we actually filmed a a bit of a commercial here in this facility so that's done and it's all getting put together so hopefully within the next week or two you'll see a much different and much more robust (laughs) kind of capture of what is proof labs if you want to keep up with us now i'd say linkedin is really our best web presence i maintain that and kind of keep that current so linkedin is the best place to look for us but prooflabs.org will be a better place in a couple of weeks
0: Awesome. Looking forward to that. Well, Dick, thank you so much for joining us today. Fascinating story. Looking forward to seeing the, the that presentation and learning more about what Proof Labs does in the future. So, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks, Greg. And for everybody else, stay secure.